All right, so as uh, Rennie mentioned, we are continuing on in a series that we are spending most of the summer, I'm, try I'm not too sure at to what point, what date we end up, but it is for pretty much the whole summer. We are looking at the statement of faith uh, as it's found on our website. Um, so essentially we're working through what we believe and why we believe what we believe here at Rita View Bible Chapel. So there's uh, a lot of teachings and the elders have worked to put together position statements, as it were, on various topics. So in the first week, we looked at uh, what, uh, what the Bible teaches us about God, who God is. Uh, we saw that, uh, that he was a God of love, of mercy, existing in three persons, uh, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The following week, we looked specifically at God the Son, the person of our Lord Jesus. Um, and then the third week, we looked at the Holy Spirit. Uh, then we looked at the Bible as the authoritative and reliable word of God, that it can be counted on as, um, as truth, as proof, as uh, that it is reliable. And uh, last week, uh, Brian uh, spoke about mankind and how man was created uh, perfect uh, in God's image, yet fell and uh, became uh, by nature, sinful and lost. And um, that's not a state that we want to stay in, um, if we don't want to stay in a state of being lost. And today's message is on the topic of salvation. It's really the opposite of being lost. It is being saved. And so we're going to look at uh, salvation this morning. Um, I'm going to have to turn it off and turn it back on. There it is. All right. So this is the statement of faith. Sorry if it's a bit small. Um, you know, when we first had the first one, I think we just had like three lines on, you know, uh, on God. And I think we're getting more and more wordy as we go. So anyway, so this is where we're at now. We've, we're at salvation. So this is the paragraph. So if you don't like the font, I'm sorry, but I'll try to read it out for you. Um, this is clearly our statement of faith that is not uh, scripture, so, um, and which is why in the latest version of the, our statement of faith, you'll notice that there's been references added to the bottom of every one of the sections. So I would encourage you actually to go online, read the statement of faith. It's, uh, it's encouraging. Do your own little study through it. Click on those verses. They are linkable. It'll take you right through to Bible Hub or Bible, Blue Letter Bible, one of those links, either way, um, and um, you can then read all the verses associated with the statement of faith to see that it's not just a statement that is, you know, pulled out of thin air, but that it is based on God's word, which we've previously looked at as being authoritative. Great. So here is the statement on salvation. God has provided a remedy for man's sin in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, bearing the punishment for our sin that was our own responsibility to pay. All who accept his sacrifice are referred to as believers. This is the only way for salvation. This acceptance includes repentance from sin, being born again through regeneration by the Holy Spirit, and salvation by grace through faith. 
the redeemed are kept eternally secure by the power of God, the intercession of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. When we repent, we can receive abundant forgiveness and grace through our Savior, Jesus Christ. We hold that all believers still succumb to temptation and sin, but that God has made full provision whereby his children may be more than conquerors through Jesus Christ by the power of his Holy Spirit who indwells each one. So that is our position on salvation. I'm going to, going to try to unpack this a little bit um, and see where it, it takes us. I've kind of broken it down into a few sections, which... Why is, I'll turn it off. I'll turn it back on. I'm getting nothing. All right. Either way, I've broken it into passages. Basically, the top portion, which talks about the remedy for sin and the process of salvation, being born again through regeneration. The, uh, the second part, which I think I can click to now. There we are. Uh, I want to look at the statement that we make here that this is the only way for salvation. And I want to look at, oh, it's still not clicking for me, Tom. That the redeemed are kept eternally secure by the power of God, the intercession of the resurrected Lord Jesus, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. And lastly, I want to talk about uh, the believers and um, that uh, we still succumb to temptation, but that full provision is made for us, and we are more than conquerors. Uh, essentially, what I want to do this morning is I want to look at five questions. So if this helps, you can kind of, we'll pass through each of these five questions. So I want to look at what is salvation? I then want to examine what role do works play in salvation? Uh, I think it's an important question because it's often a misconstrued concept about where works plays into Christianity. So. Uh, what is salvation and what role do works play in salvation? That's, those two questions kind of capture the first half or the first portion uh, that I had up on the screen there. The third question, can there be other ways to God or salvation? Fourth question, can you lose your salvation? And the last question, is salvation an event or a process? Um, so we'll kind of work through those. Uh, questions. Before we do, I think uh, it would uh, be important for us to look to the Lord for further guidance prior to us digging into this. So let's stop and pray together. Our God, we thank you uh, for, uh, for your word. We thank you that um, your word is truth and your word guides us and we can find the answers that are relevant to our lives within your scriptures. And we thank you for the salvation that you have given to us. You've given us a way to be saved from our sin. And we just pray that as we go through this, that um, your son, our Lord Jesus, would be honored. Uh, the work that he did for us would be magnified. And most of all, that uh, if anybody would be here today that doesn't know you as their savior, that they would find salvation this morning. And for those of us who are saved, we pray that we would just be reminded of the great salvation and just be encouraged moving forward. And so we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the first question is, 
what is salvation? I'm sorry the red font doesn't really appear very well on that uh, background. It showed up a lot better on my computer screen. It's, you can hardly read it up from where I'm sitting or standing, so I'm hoping that you can read it. Uh, sal what is salvation? I'll read it for you since it's hard for you to read along otherwise. God has provided a remedy for man's sin in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ who died for us, bearing the punishment for our sin that was our own responsibility to pay. This acceptance includes repentance from sin, born again through regeneration by the Holy Spirit, and salvation by grace through faith. That's just a statement from our, from our statement. So, so what is salvation? Salvation, you could say, is really at the core um, of Christianity. Um, and we'll get into that in a bit when we talk about if there can be other ways to God. But really, so the salvation message um, is, is the key to being a Christian. You can follow all the teachings of the Bible. You can follow, you can do all these good works, and we're going to get into that in a few minutes. But salvation in itself is the key to being a Christian. It is a key to following Christ. It is Christ who saves. It is a central core. And it is a simple concept. Um, you know, it's, you can look at various philosophies and theologies and big words, and there are big words that tie into salvation, and we can talk about atonement, and we can talk about justification and sanctification, and uh, we can talk about um, imputation of sins, those big words, but really it comes down to a very simple concept, which is that, that we are being saved from. We are in a condition by birth. We spoke about this last week. We are in a condition in which we are lost. We are um, like a drowning person, and we need to be saved. I've, oh, there it is. So, again, I use red on the background. It's not coming out as good. Reminder to self to not use too much red in my presentations. Um, but essentially, when we looked at it the last week, we, we have mankind's state is described in Genesis 1 and 2, God and man. And we, we even spoke about this this morning during the Lord's Supper, how God and man were able to have a relationship together, yet sin came and broke that relationship. It created a gulf between uh, God and man. So mankind was intended for a relationship with God, but we broke that relationship, and we are now stained with sin. While God requires holiness and perfection, we cannot attain it on our own. Something needs to be done. All right. So where I want to go next, and I'll, it's a good thing I've got these printed out, so uh, we'll go with that. Um, I want to look at how simple um, a message uh, it is. So what is salvation? So what I've put up there is a, is a few verses from Romans. Uh, it is what some people would call Romans Road. And they, they say this, is, this can be a method. If you memorize these verses, this is a good method for sharing your faith. In fact, it walks people through, uh, through the concept of salvation. Um, so this is Romans Road. It's a very simple concept. And you start at Romans 3.23. We read this one again this morning. Uh, Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It places us in that situation. We have all sinned. And that is where we start off, every one of us. We start off in life 
at, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if any of you are not saved here this morning, if you have not come to know Christ as your personal savior, that is still your status. Um, it is the status for all of us that we have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Um, and, but we're gonna see here that there is a way that is made uh, to come to that glory of God. And it's not through ourselves. In fact, Romans 6.23 would tell us, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The idea here that we could try to earn our way to heaven. Well, our best wages is death. Isaiah would tell us that our righteousness is filthy rags. Uh, So we know that we are unable of ourselves to earn anything better than death. All of our hard work, all of the things that we work for, those wages, give me double time and a half, those wages is still death. That is the wage of our sin. We have sinned, we've fallen short, and we deserve death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus has come to shed his life, shed his, shed his life to die on the cross the best that we can earn is death, and our righteousness is rags. And then verse Romans 5, 8, But God demonstrates his own love toward us, in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were sinners, not once we had earned it, not once we had come to church enough Sundays, not once we had done enough good deeds, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. God demonstrates his love toward us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, I don't want to get bogged into the details, but you can get into some details about why did Jesus have to die? And I don't want to get into this as this topic. Um, but suffice it to say that a, we, we, we spoke about it this morning, um, that uh, without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Sin brings death, and we see the pattern established, and you can go back, I would encourage you, and I'm not going to spend a a long time talking about atonement, but I would encourage you to go back, and there are a number of messages uh, on atonement, on justification, on sanctification, which dive into the mechanism, um, substitution, how does Jesus' death cover the cost for our sins? What I will say here is that Jesus' death was sufficient. He substitutes our death and gives us life. By being perfect, by being sinless, he was able to step in and pay the sacrifice, pay the price, take it on himself, and that we can now be saved. Christ died for us. Romans 10.9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Such a simple verse. So profound, so deep, but it is that simple. There's no guessing. It doesn't say you may be saved or, you know, um, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead and then there's another chapter on things to do. No, it's, that's the whole verse. Confess, believe, you will be saved. Romans 10.13 then tells us that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. 
And then Romans 5.1 and Romans 8.1 tell us about the outcome, the process, the outcome. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So we started off at falling short of the glory of God, and we now get to a point where we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And Romans 8 tells us that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And it is that simple. I could stop my message here right now and sit down and say, this is salvation. This is it. It is that simple. So if you're wondering how can I be saved, it's that simple. Um, If we go to the next slide, please, Tom. It didn't click again. John 3.16, often referred to as the gospel in a nutshell. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. That is the gospel. That is salvation. We talked about it on the side, and this is often an illustration that we use and we, we preach to kids you know, because it's, it's an easy concept. But really, the concept isn't any more complicated for adults. There's a gap. We can't cross it. The Lord Jesus bridges that for us. Our good works, uh, going to church, um, being a good person, those all fall short. We've already covered that in Romans. And it's through Jesus and Jesus alone that we can reach the Father. And again, like I said, I could sit down and just say, that's it. Um, But I want to pause here for a second and say that if nothing else, if you take away nothing else from this morning, that you are lost on your own, but you can be saved through the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you take nothing else from this morning, that is the message that I want you to take away, that Christ has made a way for salvation. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. So now we're going to get into, whoop, it actually worked this time, Tom. Uh, we're going to get into a few questions, I guess, that, um, that can weigh a bit more on uh, the concept of salvation. And We'll talk a bit here about works. What role do works play? I want to read from a few verses, and I want to make it clear that we are saved by grace alone, faith alone. We are not saved by by works. It is not faith plus. It is not grace plus. There is not a plus. There's nothing for us to do. Um, And I've put the infographic there. I'll get to that infographic in a second. But I want to read a few verses. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, and again, clearly it says, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. It is not a result of works. Works does not play into salvation. But it does play its way right after. We can read in verse 10, which I quoted down below, 
For we are his workmanship. This is the next verse, right after, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So there is an outcome of salvation. Clearly, salvation is not by works, but we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. A very similar passage finds itself in Titus 3. And we'll read, uh, four, uh, we'll read 4 to 7 first, and then I'll read verse 8. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Again, it reads, not because of works done by us in righteousness, not because of works that we have done, but by his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. Again, it is not by works. But, verse 8, the saying is trustworthy. This is the next verse that follows on. The saying is trustworthy. And I want you to insist on these things so that those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. These things are excellent and profitable. And I make reference to James there. I should have put the full reference. James 2, 14 and 16 is a passage that we often uh, can read that talks about works and faith. And in verse 17, James would write, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. And the pattern that I see throughout scripture is a very clear one. We are not saved by our works, but we are saved onto good works. And salvation, as I've put up there in that little infographic, salvation leads to works, and works are an evidence of salvation. That is where works factors in. Work is fruit, it is not seed. The work is the evidence of the seed. The seed is the Lord Jesus. The seed is the word of God. The seed is Jesus, us in him. We, us connected to the vine. Um, the works are the fruit. They are not the seeds. We cannot plant works and expect to gain salvation. Salvation, sorry, the works is the fruit, not the seed. Um, also, I just wanted to, again, make it clear, and I, I did say this, that we're not preaching here faith plus works. It is faith equals salvation plus works. The equation is, if you were to put it up mathematically, it is not faith plus works equals salvation. It is faith equals salvation plus works. There's works that come just as an outflow of who we are. When we are saved, we are a new creation. We are a new man. And those things come out. We read the fruit of the Spirit. There's a whole section in Galatians on 
the fruit of the Spirit. Those are fruit that come from a believer. And so uh, I guess if I was to challenge us here is to say, how is my fruit? Um, is my fruit showing the evidence of the salvation um, that I have? Um, also, I wanted to make it clear that faith in itself, believing, is not a work in itself. It is being persuaded. It is not something that we do. It is something that God has done. He has convinced us, and it is a change of, of mind. It is a change of heart, but it is not an action on our own. The, it is a life-changing persuasion. It is putting our faith in. Um, it is uh, placing our entire being in, but it is not the work itself. So I want to make that clear. We cannot work our way to salvation. But salvation in itself should yield um, works. Um, so I'll get into our next question, which is, can there be other ways to God? Um, and I could easily just say no and move on to the next slide. I think a lot of you would be in agreement, but I want to explore the topic a little bit. We do make the claim here there is only one way for salvation. And I, I have spoken with believers, in fact, who have struggled with this. And they say, how? How can... I, I know a lot of really good people. I know a lot of well-intentioned people. How is salvation only, the only way for salvation? Isn't it arrogant of us to say it? it you know, and... I understand that logical struggle with, with that. However, um, I will put up a few scriptures and then we can discuss it a little bit more. John 14, verse 6, Jesus specifically says, I am the, sorry that doesn't come out very well, but I am the way, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus makes it explicitly clear he has a unique claim on salvation. You do not get to heaven, do not get to the Father, except through the Lord Jesus. He is the way, not a way. He is the truth, not a truth. Not a component of life. He is the life. Acts 4.12 tells us, And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Again, clearly, only the Lord Jesus. In Matthew 26, actually, I'll save Matthew 26 for a second when I get to my next point here. I want to talk first of all about the question of is it arrogant? Is it arrogant for us to claim that this is the only way? Well, I will say two things. One, no, I don't think it is. Uh, just based on the fact that we are quoting the word of God. It is not us saying there is no other way. We are quoting the word of God, which we have looked previously as being reliable, unerring, um, full of truth, God's word spoken to us. So first of all, I would say that we are uh, basing ourselves on a message given to us by the creator of this world. And who are we to dictate that we would like better terms or wider terms or more terms when, Jesus, when, when God has made those terms. However, I think beyond that, I think physically there cannot be any other way. And I look to Jesus in the garden specifically for this. 
Matthew 26, 39, Jesus prays to the Father. This is the Son just prior to his death, and he's pleading to the Father, and he says this, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. This is the Son's prayer to the Father. Do you not think that if it were possible, if there was another way, if there was a plan B or C or all of the above, would the Father not have listened to the Son's prayer and said, yes, I do not want you to go through this. Yes, you don't need to, to sacrifice your life. Yes, you don't need to, uh, to uh, give your life for these sinners. There are other ways. I think this right here points us to the fact that it's not arrogance. It's not God just simply saying, well, I've chosen this way, so you better all follow this way. No, it is a necessity. It was the only way by which we could be saved. It is not just the only way by which we can be saved because God says it. It's the only way by which we could be saved because it was the only way to meet God's righteous standards. A perfect life our Lord Jesus, had to be paid to rescue us. It was the only way. And that is evidenced by flipping the page in Matthew, and you see Jesus hanging on the cross. The cup did not pass from him. God answered that prayer, and that prayer was, it is not possible. There is only one way. So to answer, is it arrogant? I will tell you, no, it is not. It is necessary that there is only one way. Second of all, I would say that to have only one way is a blessing. It is a blessing to mankind that there is only one way. We are not left to guess. There is no guesswork. There is no wondering um, have I done enough? Have I achieved it? You know, my checklist, I've got three out of four. Is that good enough? No, it is not about me being good enough. There's no guesswork. Have I met it? Have I not? Instead, the Bible tells, it, tells us it's not about are you doing good enough or are you doing enough. Instead, it tells us God has done enough. God has done it. Jesus paid it all. It is sufficient. And there's one way. And I don't need to go and search the world and wonder if I've met up or challenged. You know, I know that this is the way. So it's not only the necessary way, it is also a blessing to myself. And then we can look at it from a logical point of view that if there are other ways, what was the point of Jesus' death? There, there, that would have been pointless. And again, it goes back, points back to Matthew. That if there was other ways, I'm sure the Father would have said, yeah, there are, but there weren't. Um, I also wanted to quickly address the, the concept that, well, all religions and beliefs are the same. And I'll tell you this, that is not true. Christianity is unique. And I will tell you why Christianity is unique. It is in the name of the person with whom Christianity is associated, our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is unique in all of history. He is unique across all philosophies, religions. Um, Jesus Christ stands unique. He is the Son of God. He is the only one who can claim to be the Son of God, to be God, 
to be sinless. When the world seeks enlightenment from religions, we have the light, the true light, the light that has come into the world. When the world is looking for options, we are given the way. Jesus says, I am the way. When the world is there reaching up and trying to reach their way to God, that is religion. But instead, Christianity is God reaching down to man. That is relationship. And again, so I would say that Christianity, and people try often lump them in, and they say that is one of the major world religions. Christianity is not a religion. It is a relationship with the God of this universe, with our Savior, the Lord Jesus. That is what makes Christianity, the message of salvation, stand apart. There are no other ways to God. It is not arrogant. It is a blessing. And it stands unique and alone in all of history. And it's, it's the only way. And it is a relationship, not a religion. The fourth question I want to look at is, can you lose your salvation? We, we speak about the redeemed are kept eternally secure by the power of God, the intercession of the resurrected Lord Jesus Christ, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. I've put up a couple verses here uh, on the screen. John 10, 27 and 29 says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. And then for added clarity, he then says, I and the Father are one. So no one's going to snatch them out of his hand, and no one's going to snatch them out of God's hand, the Father, and the Father and I are one, just for added clarity, which we've we got into when we first started talking about God in our first session on this. Um, but here we have the fact that no one is able to snatch us out of the Father's hand and out of our Savior's hand. We are eternally secure. Um, Ephesians 1, 13 and 14, we read, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I really like this verse. This is one of my favorite verses. Um, it was probably about 10 years ago when I first read this verse in its, in its context and realized just what an assurance this verse is. We are not just told that we cannot be snatched from the Father's hand. We are told that there is a guarantee. There is a deposit that was made that is going to guarantee our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. Our inheritance being uh, our life in heaven. And that guarantee or that deposit or the down payment, if you will, is the Holy Spirit himself. And that, to me, just shows that we are eternally secure. If we have put our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are eternally secure because it is secured by the Holy Spirit. If you go out and you put a deposit down uh, on something. I remember I, went in, I was in Europe, and in Europe they would sell you drinks and glasses, actual glasses, like 
uh, made out of glass, but you had to put a two-euro deposit down on it. And as you exited the park, you could go to any station and return your glass, and you would get your two euros back. Now, I really liked the glass. I put it in my backpack and brought it back home because I figured it was awesome for two euros to get a, get a glass. It was a nice little souvenir. It had the name of the city on it and everything. That said, I lost my two euros. That deposit was intended for me to come back and return the glass so that I could get my deposit back. But I forfeited my deposit. Mind you, I was kind of happy with the glass. So perhaps the analogy breaks down. But if you don't come down, if you don't come back for something that you've put your deposit on, you lose that deposit. God is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And our guarantee is the Holy Spirit. God has, has not only paid with himself through the Lord Jesus, but he guarantees through the Holy Spirit securing our salvation. He is the guarantee, our deposit, and he is not going to walk out on his deposit. In fact, it's physically impossible for him to walk out and sunder himself from the Holy Spirit who is part of his person. Um, so again, we see just the idea that we, are, we cannot lose our salvation. And it should be a great assurance to all of us that our salvation is not based on a feeling. We can't wake up tomorrow and say, I don't feel saved. I'm, you know, today I just don't feel it. I wonder if God has left me. No. If you have put your faith and trust in him, if you have confessed your sins and he has saved you, you are his and you are his forever. It is not based on a feeling, a period of doubt and I know I've, I've, I've worked with the high school kids quite a while, a few years back, you know, and that is a rough period, and I've been, I've been in that period, um, in which you're trying to come to grasp with, is this who I am? Is and a period of doubt. Well, a period of doubt, if you have put your faith in Christ, but then you're encountering various philosophies and you're working your way through them, that does not disqualify you. A wrongly timed sin doesn't disqualify you. A brief rebellion, and the believer is convicted, comes back. That period of rebellion doesn't disqualify you. And we all go through those periods. We go through those periods and we wonder, have I sinned too much? Have I gone too far? Am I, I just don't feel it? No, it's not about us. It's about God, it's about Jesus, and it's about the Holy Spirit. There is, here we, in John, we do read about my sheep hear my voice. And so I will put a little bit of a side warning here and say that this is also a bit of a, a warning to people who might be posing. And I, I don't want to go into this and then as a, on a passage talking about assurance at the same time cast doubt. Um, but we do want to be aware that it is those who are saved that are eternally held secure. Um, we talk about the fact that we have assurance during periods in which we have sinned that it won't disqualify us. But we cannot live lives that are continuously rebellious, that are continuously in sin. First uh, John 3, 9 says, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning. We should, if our lives have no fruit, and this is where we go back to our concept of fruit, if our lives have no fruit, was there belief in the first place? Was there a change in the first place? Um, 
So, um, but I want, so I kind of want to put these two side by side and say, I don't want to give false assurance of salvation if you are not saved at all. Uh, and there could be a, a case here where you've come to church, you've done some good things, but you've never given your life to God. Then you would not be considered here as my sheep. But those of you who are his sheep, when we stray, we remain his sheep. He continues to bring us back into the flock, and we have that assurance that we are his and his forever. And I do want to put those two uh, side by side um, and just say that there can be a struggle in a believer's life, and that struggle does not disqualify us from our salvation. Lastly, and I see my time is gone, I want to just briefly talk about the life of the believer. And we're going to speak about this in four weeks. We have a session specifically on the believer's responsibility. So I won't get into this too much. But I asked the question, is salvation an event or a process? And the reason I asked that is um, some verses, such as Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. You kind of read that and go, I thought it wasn't about works, and why am I working out my salvation? Um, Hebrews 10.14 says, uh, for by a single offering he has perfected, past tense, for all time, those who are being sanctified, an ongoing. So is there a process of it? And I don't want to, I, I could speak a whole message on justification and sanctification. In fact, I think I did a few years back. Uh, you could probably find that in the archives somewhere. Um, but the point here is that, and it goes back to our first point about works and fruit and really is that we are saved. There is a point in our life in which we are saved, but we do not stagnate at that point. We, do not, we are not called simply to be saved. It is not just insurance that we buy and we put into our back pocket and say, all right, now I can keep on going. That if we call on the name of the Lord Jesus, um, we are being changed. We are a new creation uh, I'll put up on the screen here just a couple of infographics. Those are small, I apologize. And those aren't even infographics I made. I ripped them off, but you can read them if you want. Uh, but really the idea here is that on the left, we have that moment of salvation, the justification that we have, being saved from the penalty of sin. And then throughout our life, we have the idea here of sanctification, that we are growing, that our fruit is developing, that our, we are being um, changed into the likeness of our Lord Jesus, uh, that we are, um, that, and essentially this is the part here where it talks about work out your salvation. It's not that we are working on our salvation or we are, we are working to achieve our salvation. Our salvation was achieved at that justification point. But we are now working out what that means in our lives. That salvation has a meaning to us a deeper meaning, and we will start to grow and develop and appreciate and reread and relearn and grow. That is all part of the sanctification. And then eventually, one day, when we read salvation is nearer to us now, um, what if we read in Romans, um, actually, I think I didn't go back on the screen. Whoop. Yeah, the last verse at the bottom, Hebrews 10, 14, for by us, 
For by a single offering he has perfected for us all time those who are being sanctified. Sorry, it was Romans 13. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. Salvation was when we first believed. But ultimately, whoops, our final salvation, if you were, or our final glorification, our final point, the outcome, the, tr- the end point of our salvation is glorification. So that there is kind of salvation at the point we work through our salvation and ultimately we are ultimately saved. We are ultimately saved from a life of death in glorification. So salvation, yes, is a one time, but it shouldn't be just a one time. It is uh, an ongoing process. And I can think of my own life, just the number of times in which I've had moments that have stopped me, you know, and as a five-year-old or four-year-old, you know, I, I have no recollection. My parents tell me that, you know, I said the sinner's prayer and I prayed that Jesus would save me. Was I saved then? I truly believe so. But at times through my life, I grew and I understood things deeper and I came to high school and I realized that I had to make a choice to make this and live it and really be in it and that was mine. And there were times in university again um, where I would recommit my life and so it is a process. Uh, It is a time in which you encounter things and you reread them and you say, I need to work on this. And that is why salvation is one time. It is one time and once forever by faith, not by works, but it leads to works. And it is one time, but it's also a process and you can't lose it. So I, I hope that this morning, if we, um, oops, I keep scrolling backwards instead of forwards. Uh, this morning, if you take one thing away from here is an appreciation of your salvation. If you, are, if you are here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus, the message I want to leave with you is you can be saved, period. There is, Jesus saved us all. He was sufficient for all sin. You have not sinned to a degree that is not savable. You can be saved. If you are here as a believer and you are uh, worried about your salvation, you can have assurance that it's not dependent on you, that your salvation is kept secure. And here this morning as well, I want us all to, re- to realize that when we are saved, we are a new creation in Christ. Uh, Hebrews 2.3 tells us, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? And this morning I want to appeal to all of us to not ignore this great salvation. If you're lost, do not ignore this great salvation. But if you are saved, do not ignore. Don't take it for granted. Don't kind of say, yeah, that was something that occurred when I was five. Do not ignore so great a salvation. May God's salvation, our Lord Jesus, be what drives our life, that it changes our life and it drives our life, and may we live for him. Let's close in a word of prayer. Our God, we thank you for this great salvation. We thank you for the simplicity of it, that even a child can understand the need for salvation. We thank you for the life that it brings We thank you for uh, just this church and that it brings us all together. And we just pray that 
uh, you would uh, just guide us, remind us of your salvation. May we not neglect it today. May we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.